that slide in a moment. But before we get started, let's take a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning for all these folks to show up for Sunday school on this lovely, beautiful Sunday morning. We pray that you'll be with us and help us to understand the message this morning and that you'll keep us safe as we go about our day. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we're going to talk about free will. And, whoops, wait, oh, I forgot I put that one in there. Free willy. Well, it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, I thought about that. Anybody watch the movie Free Willy? A long time. Yeah, remember, you got this whale. It's in captivity, right? And it wants to be free. And there's this kid out there that he helps the whale get to freedom. So whale gets freedom, but we're not free, are we? We're still slaves to something. Anybody know what that is? Sin, yes, we're slaves to sin. So these are the two questions I'd like you to think about as we go through the lesson this morning, and we'll bring them up at the very end. First is, what is free will? And then even more importantly, this second question, why does God give us free will? That one's one that I want you to think about. So let's look at the historic text from the Confession of Faith. There's going to be five of them. This is the first one. There are scriptures at the bottom that will confirm what we're going to talk about right here. And it says, God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. So that opening sentence frames a discussion about the will of man. The first point is, God has supplied the will of man with a natural liberty. And that's a very important term, natural liberty. Man's been trying to define this since the days of antiquity. We can go back to Aristotle. We can come forward into Thomas Aquinas. We get into the Enlightenment thinkers like Montesquieu or John Locke, who was very instrumental in his opinions on many of our founding fathers like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson as they defined natural liberty when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. So natural liberty, it is freely given. It allows us the freedom to make choices, to make decisions. And we should be conscious of that fact. We do have choices in everything that we do or decide. Our choices that we make are free. Now there's also negative choices. Those choices that are made under duress, where you don't, you're not given a choice. Okay? They're not free. We don't run into those very often. But we are responsible for all the choices that we make and the actions that come with that. And scripture tells us, right, that we will answer for what we say and for what we do. The second point is no absolute necessity of nature. Now that determines whether we choose to do good or if we choose to do evil. And there is no action or decision or force on us or of nature that impacts how we choose. We freely choose to do this. But our will does have many powerful influences that are acting upon it, all right? So what are those influences? Well, desires of the heart. Envy, temptation, other things. There's the, the world that acts upon us. 
You know, there's a lot of things that go on outside of the world that have an impact on what we do. It is our level of spiritual and intellectual understandings as well, sometimes not thinking through the process before we make that decision. And then this infects our entire state, and we're going to stand before God one day to answer for all this. But if you look at those first few things, it all adds up to one word, sin. So our wills are in bondage. They're in bondage to sin and ultimately to Satan because Satan's going to try to pull us away from God. We are enticed to skin and we're dragged away from God by our own desires. That comes from James, first chapter, and the 14th verse. So we freely will to sin. And our sin takes away our ability to do good and our desire to do good. But there is hope because God can change our wills through the gift of grace. We turn to him for our salvation. And hopefully you freely turn to him for your salvation because that's the only way it's going to work. We freely will to love God. Only his grace can set our will free to do good and to want to do good. So think about it. Our decisions, they're complex. But you have to remember the will does have the power of self-decision. You make the choice. So God really has endued the will of man with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So let's take it into the next text, 9-2. Man, in his state of innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. But yet, but yet, two big words there, mutably so that he might fall from it. And we have some references from Scripture here, Ecclesiastes 7.29, Genesis 1.26, Genesis 2.16 and 17, and Genesis 3 and 6, all about the fall from the Garden of Eden. And then historic text 9.3, Man, by his fall into a state of sin, has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead, dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. A lot of words in there. Gotta love how they wrote in the old days, huh? Sometimes it's hard to understand. What? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> and again, we have various uh, scriptures to follow there as well. Romans 5, 6. Romans 8, 7. John 15, 5. We have Romans 3, 10 and 12. Ephesians 2, 1 and 5. Colossians 2, 13. John 6, 44 and 65. Ephesians 2, 2 through 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, and then Titus 3, 3 through 5. I hope you got all those numbers written down. All right, so let's look at paragraph 2. This really looks at Adam and Eve and as they were created. God created them in an innocent state. They had the freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. 
But as free as Adam and Eve were to do good, they were also free to do evil. Think about it. They only had one thing they had to follow, one rule, right? Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing they had to follow. Everything else in the garden was theirs. They had all kinds of freedom, but don't eat of the tree. Unfortunately, they choose to do evil. And so the state that they were in now, which had been perfection, was now changing because of this fall, and they were no longer going to be in that state of perfection anymore. God warned them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told them that to choose disobedience would be to choose death. They freely chose to do so. They might have been coerced a little bit. However, they did do it. They chose to do evil. They willed what they should never have thought, Genesis 3, 6. Perfection now ended, and they fell. And the whole world, us, we've fallen right along with them. So even after the fall, we still see that Adam and Eve still had some free will, right? They chose to hide from God. They run. They hid in the bushes so God couldn't see them. It was their choice. And then when he asked them, where are they, and what did they do, well, they blamed each other. And then they blamed the serpent. And Adam even went so far to say, well, you gave me the woman. Maybe it's your fault. Huh? So they were avoiding their responsibility to obey and choose wisely. So they did, however, choose their own path. And unfortunately, now that path is ours as well. So scripture tells us that they, or we, can no longer do anything good, sensible, or wise for their or our salvation. They were, freely, they were free to do good, but had lost the ability to help themselves spiritually. So they were without strength, or as Paul describes those without strength, as being ungodly. And that comes from Romans 5, 6. So they, or we, are, were now embattled against our Creator. And their sinful minds were hostile to God. And there, or our wills, might have been free, but God looked upon the two, or everyone he has made. And nothing can be plainer than the fact that without him, we are completely helpless. And that's John 15, 5. So what had been natural for Adam and Eve to please God is now destroyed. Paul writes in Romans 3, There is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks God. They are all gone out of the way. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's quite a condemnation on all of us, isn't it? Kind of a sad, very sad, very sad words. So all mankind is dead in sin, as Paul states in letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians. And without Christ, we are dead too, right? We need Christ. Now you see some asterisks there. This is where I'm going to improv a little bit and add something here. If you think about it, Christians have to be probably the bravest people on the face of the earth. Why is that? Because every day you are coming face to face with your sin and with our bad deeds. And sometimes they're hard to look past. They haunt us. They terrify us. And we're embarrassed. And yet, Christians come to church. They still believe. 
they face God. It takes a lot of courage to do that. That's why I think Christians have to be the bravest people on the face of the earth. Our only hope is his mercy. We need his salvation. It's the washing and the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, as Titus says in 3, verse 3 through 5. So how horrible is it to choose evil? It's very sad to lack the ability to do what is necessary for our own salvation because we tend to walk in the ways of the world and we tend to gratify our own temptations. Paul says it best. Thanks to God because in his great love for us, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by his grace you, or in this case we, have been saved. In his letter to Ephesians 2, 2 through 5. So now we get into historic text 9, 4. <clears throat> when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so, that by reason of his remaining corruption, he does not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but also that which is evil. So even though we come to faith, even though we choose to worship God, to believe in God, to worship his son Jesus, we're still not perfect. We're still going to commit sin. We have scripture that will uh, validate or confirm a lot of this. Colossians 1.13, John 8.34 and 36, Philippians 2.13, Romans 6.18 and 22, Galatians 5.17, we have Romans 7, 15, 18, 19, 21, and 23. Bingo. Anybody got bingo? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are tragically twisted by that fall, and we willingly walk in ways that lead us to death. We will continue to do so unless God converts the sinner and translates him into a state of grace. So when you are converted, when you believe you now have hope in Christ. You now have the Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit will swell and grow each and every day. And I kind of find as I'm aging, that Holy Spirit is growing even larger. It's maturing too. So thank the Lord that he does this for us. He delivers us from the power and the dominion of darkness. He's taking us away from Satan. He's taking us from the depths of hell. And he's going to transfer us into the kingdom of his son that he loves. He's taking us to Jesus. We're going to heaven. That is our hope. Colossians 1.13. We are rescued from our natural slavery to sin. And now everything in the world is going to begin to change for us. Our eyes are now opened. When the son of God sets us free, we are free indeed. John 8.34 and 36. So we are freed by God's grace, and Scripture now tells us to become not slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. As new creatures, we have new inclinations and abilities. We can now act according to them. We, will, we are able to freely will and do that which is spiritually good. However, yet, there's still going to be problems, 
All right? We're still man. We're still caught between heaven and earth. We're caught between God and Satan. Christians, believers, we're still a conflicted people. We still commit sin. The effects of corruption remain within us. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other and to keep you from go doing the things you want to do. In other words, you may want to do the right thing, but you still do the wrong thing. And we, I should say we. That's Galatians 5.17. Probably me, not you, me. I'm the one who does all that. Satan and the world are still at work on us. Sin remains in us. We do not follow through with the good we intended to do. We stumble into the evil we intended to avoid. It's this perpetual cycle. It just doesn't end. As saved sinners, we are free to do what is good, but we are still also free to do what is evil. And we often do. That's why I say Christians got to be the bravest people on the earth because we keep coming back knowing our failures, but we keep coming back asking, save me, save me, save me. Text 5. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory alone. Scripture references from Ephesians 4.13, Hebrews 12.23, 1 John 3.2, and Jude only has one chapter, verse 24. All right. The change in life is incomplete. We continue to choose what is wrong as well as what is right. But only until our Savior takes us home. The only solution to this conflict between good and evil is for our souls to be finally perfected in that state of glory when we go home. When Christians finally reach this state of glory, our wills will be made perfectly and unchangeably free to do good alone. You won't have to worry about sin once you get to heaven. It doesn't exist. We have reached spiritual maturity at this point, and by grace we will measure up to Christ. We too will be holy. We will reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We've reached perfection. We're back into the perfection state. In between, though, it's a pretty vicious cycle, isn't it? Some days you wonder if there is any hope, but you keep plugging away one step at a time. And when you make the mistake or you make the sin, you just realize it and you shake your head and say, oh, doggone it, I did it again. When is it? When am I ever going to learn? When am I ever going to stop? So let's go back to those two questions that I asked when I started. What is free will? Anybody have any answers? Yeah, there it is. And the second one, that's the one that's more important. Why does God give us free will? What do you think? Oh, come on, somebody's got an answer for this. Yes. There you go. All right. God does not want forced love. He wants people to freely choose. And think about it. We've had numerous kings, emperors, rulers on the face of the earth. 
How many of them have been killed by their own people? Caesar, Charles I was beheaded. Louis XVI was beheaded by guillotine. I mean, these people ruled. Caesar was knifed by his best friend. They forced themselves on their people whom they viewed as subjects. God doesn't look at us as subjects. We're his people. We choose to love him. If he forced us to love him, not quite the same situation. It's not quite the same story, is it? We have to be the ones to come to him, and that's what he wants. He wants us to come, and that is why God gives us free will. Anybody have any questions, comments? Free will. There's free will. Can't regenerate people that don't want to come to him and don't believe in him. No. Instead of a different. Paul answers and says, Why do you think of his God, old man? Exactly. Yeah, he does anticipate that um, question. Anybody else have any questions? Comments? The floor is open. Oh, absolutely. It's the strength of the Spirit that brings us here. Keeps our faith, keeps us believing. Keeps us facing God in our sinful state. It's true. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, not necessarily. In their minds.
Very good. David? You were I was going to say it involves some type of unwillingness to subordinate ourselves to God. I mean, that's in the very beginning is just disobedience. Absolutely. So, And you know what? We don't have all the answers, even as believers. But that's what's called faith. I mean, how many have flying an airplane? How many have ever gotten in a car with an Uber driver? <laughs> think about it. That takes That's faith. You don't think about it, but that's faith. You expect to get from point A to point B in one piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Or, from a previous study years ago, I had this teacher who claimed to be real, uh, and it says, prior to the fall, the will was free to choose good or evil, to save one's will. Subsequent to the fall, uh, the will was free to obey, but you still choose to sin. And then glorified, the will was free within the confines of the glorified nature to only choose good. And that's what you said. Once we reach heaven, sin is gone. You don't have to worry about sin anymore. You just don't have to worry about world issues either. <laughs> All right, anybody else? Yeah, wisdom. Armor of God. Yeah. yeah, you do. You need the armor of God. Uh, and for all of us, number one answer for getting all of that is prayer. You got to take that time to, to pray. You know, whether it's in your closet in the dark or at the side of your bed or when you're driving down the road, take some time to pray. Ask for Ask for God to surround you with his love, mercy, wisdom. That's what Solomon asked for, wisdom. We should ask for his wisdom as well. If he could just give me just a smidge of wisdom, it would help me out quite a bit. I'd stop making a number of my silly mistakes. Anybody else? Any comments? Right. And no one is good except 
There is. There's also, I've heard a couple other ways of having it put. Uh, I think it was Ruth Graham. Somebody asked her that question, why does God allow things like this to happen, bad things to happen? And her comment was, well, God's been chased out of a lot of places. He's been chased out of schools. He's been chased out of the public buildings. That creates a void. And when God's gone, who's moving in? You got it. Satan moves in. So Satan's also at work in this world, too. He's, he's at work on, on these other people. Anything else? Anybody else? All right. Let's close with a quick prayer and can go get some coffee. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here. Thank you for sharing this time with, with each other to ask some questions, to maybe get a little bit better understanding of your plan in life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.